0: Hi, this week on Papa PhD, I have the pleasure of bringing you someone whose mission is to help graduate students and postdocs with their career development. As director of UC Irvine's GPS STEM program, Harinder Singh achieves this transition support through different approaches. These approaches include different sorts of training, mentoring programs, and offering different opportunities for networking. During our conversation, we talked about how Harinder got interested and involved in conversations and organizations around the post PhD career question, and about how these conversations brought him to where he is today professionally.
1: If you don't have it, ask for it. If you they are not doing it, you do it. You're a scientist. You're into entrepreneurial. You sit, read a paper identify the void it's almost like doing a market research and now what you do you go and plan an experiment design an experiment you go and look for reasons you don't have to have it you go ask for it you cannot ask it's not there you want to ask your pi they are not agreeing to it which experiments you want to do convince them with the data and then go ahead and do an experiment. And we are very entrepreneurial by nature, scientists. And as I said, just try to manifest and you know translate that into this form and build it. And if you need help, I'm happy to you know help you out. There's a lot of examples out there how to conduct, organize your own symposium, how to raise money for these uh, graduate student and postdoc association programming. <laughs>
0: Welcome to Papa PhD with David Mendes, the podcast where we explore careers and life after grad school with guests who have walked the road less traveled and have unique stories to tell about how they made their place in a world of constantly evolving rules. Get ready to go off the beaten path and hop on for an exciting new episode of Papa PhD. Welcome to this week's episode of Papa PhD. This week, I'm really, really happy to have with me Harinder Singh. Harinder is Program Director, Graduate Professional Success in STEM at UC Irvine. Previously, he served as the Associate Director for the the NIH Best Funded Program, GPS Biomed from 2018 to 2019. He earned his doctorate in cardiovascular biology from the Temple University School of Medicine, Philadelphia, in 2014, and conducted postdoctoral training in neurosciences at the University of Illinois at Chicago from 2014 to 2018. Harinder served many executive roles in a Chicago based scientist organization, scientist. Is it the way to say it? Scientist? Yes, you got it. <laughs> yeah. Awesome. Dedicated to a, uh, dedicated to providing a networking platform for junior researchers and industry professionals. He was appointed to the board of directors of the science advocacy uh of the science advocacy organization Future of Research with a mission to engage and empower early career scientists with evidence-based resources in improving the scientific research endeavor. As the leader of UC Irvine's GPS STEM program, Harinder is dedicated to finding solutions that broaden research training, foster relationships between academia and the private sector, and raise awareness on how academic discoveries advance society. Welcome to Papa PhD, Harinder.
1: Thank you, David. Thank you for having me.
0: It's totally my pleasure, and just all all of the, the... Key words in your intro. I think it, it makes, you know, any listener c- must be clear on why I'm super happy to have you here today. Uh, you know, the bridging academia and industry, uh, you know, taking a, a, a science and a data based approach to, uh, to helping people figure out their careers after graduate school uh, are all things that sound really good to me. And I, I'm really happy to hear about you, hear about your story. And eventually we're going to talk about what exactly uh you you've been up to and 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 what you do i know a little bit more about it i follow you on linkedin but uh, i'm super happy to share with the listeners uh more in detail what is it that you do and and why uh why it is important in in today's situation um harinder let's start from the beginning and uh we, i think it's always good to quickly l- let the the guest introduce themselves and i mean more telling the story of how they got interested in science uh, how you know all these points that i mentioned in your intro how they came about and and kind of telling the story of how you came to do what you do today
1: yeah absolutely um so uh, as you mentioned i'm currently the program director of graduate professional success in stem uh, at university of california Irvine. And previously, this program was called Graduate Professional Success in Biomed, which was funded by NIH's Broadening Experiences in Scientific Training. Mm-hmm. That award ensured uh, and gave us funding to uh, conduct career and professional development programming for five years. And after that, we transitioned to GPS 10. So uh, so my role basically involves a lot of uh, uh, career and professional development for PhD students and postdocs who we were earlier biomedical sciences, but now it's all across the STEM disciplines. So we provide avenues um, for development, career development, and making sure that they are aware about multiple different careers, which come out of PhD and postdoctoral training. And once they are become aware about these different careers, we try to provide them specific training, which is required to be successful. First of all, to transition into those careers. And secondly, to be able to, you know, to be successful in those careers. Mm-hmm. And then we try to provide them with more hands-on activity, hands-on experience on to how that career would look like once they start working in it. So they can sort of like, you know, not only that they become, they prepare, but also they can, this gives them an opportunity to figure out like if they are going to like that or not. So I mm-hmm. think that's the biggest thing, you know, we need to know not only knowing that, you know, this is what I like, but also knowing that this is what I, don't like right mm-hmm. and the last part is where uh, what we call it career transition we provide them with different opportunities and avenues on, on on you know ways to transition with like linkedin resume writing workshops networking opportunities and within the orange county um medical device or life sciences industry and mm-hmm. then the mentoring programs so this is pretty much like then a four pillar structure of the program before that i as you mentioned i was in chicago i got my Postdoctoral training uh, in Chicago, in, Seattle, in Chicago, but you mentioned this organization which I really, really loved and I still close, near and dear to my heart. Scientists, which is Chicago-based scientists. Mm-hmm. Just the name <laughs> itself really brought in a lot of students, uh, scientists within Chicago area together, and we would just go and sit and chat about like you know some of the challenges we are facing within in lab environment or in our career, and then we got joined by a lot of industry professionals who came in who said, like, yeah, I would like to work with you guys and you know sort of network. So that really grew from like a very basic, small student-led, like, you know, one or two people meeting at a bar, to like such a large uh, official nonprofit organization. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. And then, you know, while that time, during that time, I really got interested in this future research organization, which you mentioned again, another profit, which is run by early career scientists for early career scientists. How to make sure that you know all the different challenges which we are facing? How to address that? How to bring more awareness about some of the issues we are facing? And that happens as a you know taking a scientific approach, first collecting data and getting those data out in the form of publications and giving talks and making our audience, uh, trainee audience aware. Not only that, but, you know, making the funding agencies and institutes and departments aware that these are some of the challenges which trainees are facing and you should do something about it. So we become sort of like a mouthpiece of early career researchers asking for better training mechanisms. Mm-hmm. And and before that, you know, did my PhD in a totally different field of cardiovascular biology. <laughs> so, so, again, you know, this is going back, but then coming forward during grad school, I had a little bit of training here and there, how to get engaged, you know, work with the graduate student institution. But mostly things started during my postdoctoral training that I got heavily okay. involved into that. And I'll we'll, we'll talk over it as we go along. But yeah, that's sort of a brief history.
0: Yeah, it, it can be hard and especially in in our in your type of, of research that you did during your PhD to be heavily involved in in associations or use your research in those domains, in at least my experience is that they they're you know they're very time consuming and you, you're kind of required to be there a lot. Uh, but it's interesting to see that then it, during your postdoc you found i don't know if you found or if it found you but this opportunity to get uh, involved Uh, can you talk a little bit about that about how it came about and 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 about how important it was maybe even for your day-to-day as a postdoc
1: yeah absolutely i think that this is a very good question because as i mentioned when i was in grad school i I was, you know, my whole focus, like any other grad student, is trying to finish my PhD, trying to get a grant, go through candidacy exam, you know, get a grant, get the papers published, if not grants, just get the papers published and graduate, right? And had no time to learn about what the other careers are out there. And I, you know, just like everybody else, as I said, wanted to be a research faculty, wanted to be yeah. that old <laughs> professor, right? But but then more and more, I, you know, uh, started thinking about it. And I, I just, I, it made me wonder, like, you know, I, I don't, I need to go look at the data. Everyone talks about like, you know, it's really hard to get into that research faculty positions. And I started looking all around, you know, tracking sort of the PhD students who went through my lab and other, you know, uh, whole department maybe like one or two people in like the last 10 years became research faculty in that path. So I'm like, where do they all go? Mm-hmm. And it's hard to track. There's no data. You talk to departments and PIs and research advisors and they're like, mm, I am not in touch with that person. I do not know what they're doing, mm-hmm. but for sure they are not doing research anymore. So with all those questions in mind, I would say I defaulted into postdoctoral position because I had no idea about what I will be doing when I started my postdoc, that's when I was again. You know, this question was always there. You know, where do they? Where do PhDs go? And what are they doing? And how can we make sure that you know, if if a large number of them are transitioning there, how do we make sure that you know we are prepared right now? Mm-hmm. So it, with that search for data in my mind, I came across uh, Future of Research. Uh, Future of Research is an organization which started in Boston area, and they were doing their symposium in Chicago, like big symposium about. To educate trainees, uh, some of the the big challenges they face, whether it's postdoc salaries, benefits, about training mechanism, lack of you know inadequate mentoring, mm-hmm. and bringing all those issues on lack of career development. I participated in that Future of Search Symposium. I volunteered. I was in the fundraising committee. This is something I had never done. And I was like, okay, I'm going to take a deeper dive. Let's see, you know, it, let's just get in with an open mind. If nothing, I'll get to put something on my resume and let's see. And, but as I started working with that organization, oh my God, that was an eye-opening thing for me. <laughs> I got to see the data that there is no data on <laughs> career outcomes for PhDs. Yeah. I got to see that, this this really nice and fancy world of like, and I'm a great scientist doing great research. But there was no community engagement. Not no mm-hmm. not not a lot of people in the community knew that how you know such a cool research I'm doing. And then then we talked more to people. There was problems with the grants, the problems with salaries, the problems with proper mentoring, and that really like made me wonder. Okay, I need to do something about it. And then I talked to the leadership there. You know, how can it be part of your organization? And that was the time they were hiring. They were looking, looking for volunteers, recruiting, uh, maybe the, you know their executive core. Mm-hmm. And then I went in with all the experience which I got with them, and then I was working with the other organization. I started working with them, and I think you know, the more and more data I saw, the more and more, more I got interested into doing something about it. Mm-hmm. And right around that time, okay, well, you know, I've done all this now. How do I ensure that there is some sort of a training we are providing right now? It was hard to. Find training um, or training avenues programs where I was, did my postdoc. So, again, as I said, I'll say it again that I got like very, you know, uh, entrepreneurial, uh, started taking Mm -hmm. risks. It's if nothing happens, it's going to be an experience which will come out of it. So, we took an initiative on our own as grad students and postdocs and started this organization, Chicago based scientist organization called Scientist. Chicago okay. scientist. So as I said, we started meeting in the bars and it was great. You know, one of the biggest problem for uh, academics and researchers, we sit in lab and only people we talk to is people in the lab at max. We go into the breakout room and then, you know, breakout area and then sit there and have lunch and talk about, Hey, how's your lab doing kind of a thing. That's it. It just ends there. <laughs> when you talk to other people, we want to talk to people. We want to interact. So that's where that's you know, this sort of like community and small organization started growing and then, we started to work in this peer-to-peer environment that really got me excited about things. And, mm-hmm. and, and, and let me take, let me tell one thing, you know, because there's a lot of confusion about uh, this idea that, okay, well, if you start doing a lot of stuff like this, you know, getting volunteering, volunteering for the organizations, getting involved in postdoc association, graduate association, nonprofits, that's going to take you out of lab and you may not, might not be able to focus a lot and you'll not be a great scientist. I'll give you an example. I, I, um, got a lot of awards during my postdoc mm-hmm. in spite of doing all this i published really well i got a grant and i think i had a really really successful postdoc compared to like five six years of my phd training where i didn't do anything i only did research mm-hmm. so that became another myth buster and uh, this you know we we just uh submitted a paper you know on this whole idea that the increased participation in career development activities actually makes you more focused and helps you graduate faster. And you can, you people tend to have higher number of publications if they've been participating in these act- activities. So that's how you know the interest grew, and we started doing something about it. And that's how you know uh, it really started to sort of pave the way for like you know foundation for what I do right now.
0: Mm-hmm. It makes me wonder if uh, actually the fact of. Diversifying a little bit what your brain you know is busy on doesn't actually uh have a positive effect, which is you don't get either tired or uh you don't get tunnel vision too much with with your your lab and when when you come back, you actually cross pollinated maybe ideas because you talked with someone else, you come back to your work and you end up being more productive. Because you didn't just stay that whole day focusing and maybe stressing about about this same one thing, it's super super interesting. Because yeah, yeah it, it, it does yeah. sound counter counterintuitive. You're doing more stuff and you're being more productive, but but I can see how it works.
1: Yeah. You know, it's a really good point you bring up about like, you know, just like, you know, getting out of your comfort zone and getting out of like what you do every day and then doing something different. And that something different for me was networking and collaborating and building partnerships. Mm-hmm. Now, when I came back without actually thinking about it, I started to apply that in my research. <laughs> how whenever I was running low on reagents, I don't have enough antibody. Talking to your research advisors, like we don't have enough money. Mm-hmm. So um, I don't know, just you know, figure something out. That's when I went to, you know, next door lab, department, university, started, you know, activating my contacts, which mm-hmm. I made through scientists organization. <laughs> and I was then became that person in the lab. Like, okay, you're looking for antibody. Nobody has it. Ask Render, he will find you that antibody.
0: <laughs> so awesome. I think, you know,
1: look, you know, it, it, I didn't think about it that seriously at that time, but then it could it started to manifest in my everyday research functioning and it is. This is what's required, and this is what's going to make you a successful scientist. If you're able to build collaboration, think outside of the box, and be able to be, build like you know, larger partnerships, collaborations, and and that really helped me. And I totally agree with you when you said that you know it really brings a different perspective and trying to connect those things. And that's what was going on, which I didn't realize it at that time. But now, when I look back and look at it clearly, yes, that's what happened then.
0: <laughs> that's so funny. Now. There's another aspect of this, and we we kind of talked we talked about it a little bit, which is some you know depending on on the type of PhD project you're on, some some projects are very time consuming and ve- they, you know they take up a lot of of your life. Uh, but there's another aspect which is, depending on where you are, what lab, what what institutes, also uh, your supervisor may frown upon you doing other things. And it seems that you guys at UC Irvine the way the model that you found is kind of integrated in the in the day-to-day life of the students can you talk a little bit about that about how pis see what you guys are doing and and how you know what solutions or what conversations you've had to kind of uh unlock this this sometimes touchy situation
1: yeah that's i mean i i really love the kind of questions you are asking because these are really the most important conversations we are having around and these are again the challenges which everyone is facing their own at their own different levels so at uc irvine uh, we are very open to career and professional development alternative career training and when we say alternative career let's be honest that you know the faculty careers itself have become alternative now because only 10% of them according to the data yeah. get into faculty research careers right so 90% of them are are getting outside of academia um, when we did a survey uh, at UCI and uCI actually in around know, more than seventy percent of the faculties were very receptive and open to the idea of their students and postdocs going out and participating in these activities and and uCI has been very open to this idea from the beginning, and then a lot of faculties actually come from very diverse training. And, and, you know, here people are very aware about the data. Again, as a scientist, as I always say, you know, think like a scientist, look at the data, hypothesize, and then see what's you know, what reality is. Mm. And it's, after doing that faculty perception survey, uh, we wanted to also, you know, uh, make sure that the 30% of the, the faculties who we are missing on, who are probably not quite appreciating this aspect right now, and also to keep on that 70% of the faculty engaged in the idea that this is really not going to distract your students and postdocs out of the research training. We wanted to, introduce and ha- build more like a cohort or a mixed model where not only we do career and professional development training and transferable skill development, we also emphasize on a great academic training. Mm-hmm. If you look at it, honestly, you've gone through PhD and all a lot of our listeners, I mean, most of the listeners have gone through PhD or are going through PhD training. And you'll see that, you know, at, at some point we have become very hardwired, you know, things have not changed for like decades.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: A training on there's really not very few places where maybe there's a course on how to write and effectively write a manuscript. Mostly you learn from your PIs. And there's not a lot of training, you know, a very innovative grant writing programs. There's not a lot about, okay, how do you engage and work with your um, manuscripts and in reviews, how to be a great reviewer and, you know, to make sure that you get good reviews. And that part kind of like thing is not, you know, not there. We, we, all of us make like great scientific, we have to make scientific figures for our publications, right? You know, sometimes you're asked to make a graphic. Mm-hmm. We do not have any training to make those excellent graphics, which isn't part of an academic training, and that should be ensured. So we started to add an academic track within our career professional development okay. umbrella. So we have an academic advancements activities. And as a result of that, when they come and attend these, you know, very innovative fellowship writing course, visualizing science, we have career cohorts where students and postdocs are interested in a particular career and they are working towards that. And as a result of that, you know, we make them aware about this career professional development activities we are doing, which is for alternative careers, then we see a large number of participation there. Mm-hmm. And then we've seen more and more faculties getting interested that yes, you are helping our trainees the time I do not have to help my student postdocs to write a grant, write a manuscript, and help them to figure, you guys, your program is helping with that. And as a result of that, if they're participating in other activities, that's fine. So I think, you know, that's, so the idea that, you know, know, don't just think that be happy that 70% of the faculties are okay, so let's just, you know, they're okay. But no, they might start to change their perception if you're not doing a great job. So this is how we try to ensure that there is an active participation, multi-pronged strategies. Uh, To make sure that you know, to remind you that your academic training is very, very important. Mm -hmm. Once you have a great academic training, then only you can think about getting into any careers after that, right? You cannot just get into the PhD and postdoc and think that okay, I want to be not doing research faculty. Therefore, I don't want to care about you know, you know, think about academic training. That's not the case. So we try to sort of like you know build a more cohesive and synchronized model Mm -hmm. of uh, professional and career development.
0: That's uh, super super interesting that you kind of you you, the, you yeah you kind of uh, twinned the the things together the academic and the career and that's how you made it work uh, it, it's a really really smart <laughs> uh, solution to this to this problem because time doesn't stretch right now just a question like just a question like that uh, if, imagine someone out there is thinking of creating something similar or suggesting something similar in their university just in in terms of how it works uh, are these uh, in person workshops uh, uh, you know how when during the day do they happen how can st- graduate students uh, fit fit uh, the trainings that that you offer within their schedule
1: yeah so that's again an excellent question again you know there's a pre pandemic answer and pandemic answer and then a post pandemic answer right i i know we'll get to that discussion in the end but mm-hmm. Pre-pandemic, you know, in-person events, you know, it's always hard for students most to take time out of their lab and, you know, taking that, you know, carving out that extra one hour of training and then including that 15, 10, 15 minutes to walk to that room where this event is happening and 10 minutes again to walk back, right? Mm-hmm. And this might be in the middle of the day, might be the most productive time of your day doing your research, but everyone is going to eat lunch, right? Mm-hmm. That's true. And we do need breaks. So all our, you know, large majority of our events happen during lunchtime between okay. 12 to one. And there was an incentive that there was lunch. So you do not have to spend money as a poor PhD student and postdoc oh, to buy lunch from outside. You can come eat lunch. And as you're eating lunch, you can listen to this thing. And that's an indirect way of, you know, engaging them. And then that was a time in where, you know, in case if you were in a lab environment, research lab environment, where your PI is very micromanaging you, managing you so that's where they um you were at lunch Mm
0: -hmm. while you
1: were at lunch you learned something new the second timing we chose and that's again very important for more like detail and long-term activity about career um focus uh, events and then the networking part we did the panel discussion which is usually one hour and then after that there's networking food um and drinks So that's, it's really important that after an event, you need to, you get to network with the people who were speaking, were at the panel discussion. So these events always happen after five, 5.36. Now you will try to wrap up your work by five. You have an incentive. You know, that's the thing we talked about earlier that when you participate in these activities, um, you will become more productive, but you have to put a conscious effort on making sure that how you can become more productive Mm -hmm. by being, not wasting time a lot in the lab, You know, eight hours, use it effectively, wrap up really quick, because five, you have to be at this event. And at the event, you can relax, you network with people and get to eat something and take (laughs) something for dinner. Right. So that was uh, one of the ways, you know, this is pre-pandemic world. Of course. Pandemic world. I mean, yeah, you know, you might think that, okay, everyone is sitting at home, you know, people can log in whenever the online, all our events are online. Now everyone, people can log in whenever they want to, but that's actually not true. People are still sort of like working the same amount and Mm in fact, they're all, they're working more and then more events, you know, meetings are happening online. Some of the people are actually starting to go back in lab and they're working different shifts, shifts. So we still have to make sure that we find that right, perfect time window. Twelve to one is the perfect lunch time window. We engage most of the people around that time. Okay. After five or six, in, instead of starting our events online at five, we start them at six or six thirty because now you're taking a little extra. You're working a little bit more. Six thirty, you're sitting at the comfort of your home and have a drink in your hand and listen to great panel discussion and <laughs> do online networking in the breakout rooms. So that's been working. Now, how does the post pandemic world look like for this programming? <laughs> I, I envision something more like, you know, again, you know, saying that something in future, but then I feel um, we've learned a lot. We are learning a lot from this pandemic uh, environment and and then the training and there are really, really good elements in that. And there are really good elements in the in-person one. I would like to, I think, and I see more like a hybrid model moving forward where there will be some programming which is more heavy involved. Where it need, there needs to be a community engagement and peer-to-peer learning, and that happens only when you get to see people in yeah. the groups. You yeah. do that there, and then the more like, you know, panel discussion, something which just requires you to sit and listen and absorb and ask questions via chat that will happen online. So mixed model is the way to go. And that's how, you know, just breaking it in three parts.
0: Yeah, I, I, the lunch and learn uh, it totally makes sense. <laughs> and mm-hmm. uh, it's it's uh, it's also a, a smart way to go about it. And if you offer food, then it's, it's even <laughs> easier, right? Uh, now, yeah. I imagine, uh, and we haven't talked about this, so I'm just throwing it out there, that you uh, must have people uh you know students who take part in your activities you must uh, give them surveys about what they you know what they learned how satisfied they are um with you know with this or that uh activity uh and where i'm going with this is i would love for you to share um what you have seen uh, make your students react the most positively like or basically is what do you feel students really love or need or want and that, that you've brought them and that they were like, okay, this was really, really cool. And yeah. I'm thinking of the listeners out there who are not at UC Irvine and who might be thinking of ideas of something to suggest to their department. I, I don't know. You know, what, what, what were things that you were, you were like, okay, this was really cool, worked really well. People were really happy. We need to do it again.
1: Yeah. So that again excellent question and then sort of like to answer that people who are not at UC Irvine you know pandemic world has really brought us all together very closer uh, closer to each other in terms of programming even if you are at a place where you do not have a program UC or some of a lot of UC Irvine's programs are now free online and anyone can attend so okay. feel free to join in log in for a webinar kind of a session which is not long term because some of those Uh, programs are exclusive to UCI training. Mm -hmm. So it just comes through that, you know, happy to, you know, offer that spot to you guys. And I'm sure a lot of organizations are doing the same. So this has really opened up a big training environment for all of us. Second thing, um, you know, well, first thing going back to, you know, questions about, you know, what is it that, you know, evaluation surveys and what people are liking. So yes, after every event and most of the events we do evaluation and based on our evaluation on what we've been doing, People are really loving the aspect which I mentioned about like the four pillar model. We have career exploration, career training, career experience, and career transition. The career training part where we are providing them a specific training or a certain career mm-hmm. and something which is, you know, important transferable skill, which is required to not only to be successful in academic training, but also be outside academia. That's the part people are really, really finding it very high level and high interest and high impact activity okay. communication skills we work with sandra singlo from npr's lowdown on science podcast she runs that and she comes to uc irvine and does this science communication skills session for trainees oh, wow. and at the end of it they get an opportunity to record the mini ted style talk which they can keep it with them. They can put it on YouTube channel or they can put it now, they can put it on their resume and showcase that this is an excellent work they're doing, right? So it's output driven and there's an incentive there. And we always try to put like something, you know, which you can take back with you as a trophy which will show people mm-hmm. that you've done this, you got something out of it. And this is a proof of that. And that proof also takes you a long way. Let's say if you took our, you know, we offer this medical basics of medical writing for PhD students and postdocs course, cool. because as I said earlier, mentioned, mm-hmm. first of all, we don't have a lot of data, right. Mm-hmm. As to where our trainees are going. And in my program, you know, in our program, we do a really good job at tracking our, uh, students and postdocs as to where they're going when i started tracking of the career outcomes and i saw like you know let's see where they are mostly working a large majority of them are biomedical ones are working in medical writing field and then see okay what, what are we offering to them and it was not a lot other than you know the standalone activities as i mentioned about career exploration so we built this course on that and at the end of the course all the the whole course was not taught by me but the course was taught by alumni who wanted to come back and help, and who are medical writers. You know, Mm -hmm. who best can teach you that course, right? So they came back, taught that, and there's an essential part of that, you know, when you're applying for a medical writing position or what you'll be doing in medical writing as a job, there is a test you have to take during that recruitment process. They'll give you a paper. You probably have to make a podium presentation, a slide deck or, you know, graphics and all that. So we gave them an exam in the end. They did the exam. So that was a great achievement (laughs) that, yes, I got to do the work which I would be doing when when I become a medical writer. Now they got a little taste of what the medical writing field looks like. Mm -hmm. And then we gave them a live feedback on that. Okay, well, this is, and the feedback was given by medical writers. So this was one of the things, you know, we had like around 30, 35 students participate in this thing. I would say five or 10 of them, they're like, okay, I don't think this is for me. Mm -hmm. And I feel like, and they said, no, this was very helpful because I figured out this is not for me. 20 of them, yes, this is my career field. And I thank you for providing me that opportunity. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Now I know. How to transition? How to be successful? What to expect? And at the end of it, there was a certificate if they finish, uh, you know, uh, fulfill all the requirements of attending all the sessions, submitting the homework, getting feedback. You get a certificate, which you get to put on your LinkedIn and resume. Now, when you're applying for a medical writing position, the first question the recruiter is going to hiring manager is going to ask you based on your resume tell me about this medical writing course you took. Uh-huh. <laughs> that's your moment you have to grab it exactly <laughs> and a lot of people transition using this thing and the other courses we build we can talk about business concepts and and more like science policy and advocacy people love these kind of pro- programs more and people are finding time somehow some you know out of their busy research schedule to come and attend these events because these are very high impact outcome-oriented, incentive-based activities, which are very popular now.
0: Mm-hmm. This is uh, super cool. I uh, My first job, not the first, I did something else in between, Uh, Some some distance uh, distance learning tutoring, but uh, it was medical writing, and I did have an an exam, a test, writing test exactly. You know exactly. I would have felt much more confident, and I did get the job. But I would have felt much more confident if I had had a course such as the one that you that you said, and uh, you know, of all things, having a certificate. You know, uh, that's very very cool. Now, what I'm thinking, you know, is well you mentioned that before at, uh, at the very beginning that there was funding that uh, that the university got that allowed for this uh, for, for your department or for your program to be created um is there um is there a way uh, imagine well. Now you already mentioned that people, de- depending on what webinars we're talking about, that they can uh, have access to some of these, you see, uh, these UCI uh, resources online, right? But mm-hmm. um, one of the things that in conversations with guests on this on, on Papa PhD uh, that I found interesting is this: this the same way as like you were in Chicago and you ended up forming uh, scientists that. Students can, and you know, there's maybe there's an alignment of stars and planets, but they can create things where where they are. Uh, even if they don't have all the resources, maybe with networking and talking with uh, direction, they they can make some things happen. If someone who's listening uh, wants to create such a group and maybe start. I don't know. Uh, so I'm thinking of Adriana Bankston. She was one of my guests. And she started a science policy group. And now her life is all, you know, her professional life is all around science policy. I don't know if you know who I'm talking about.
1: Yeah. Adriana Bankston actually runs our science policy and advocacy Oh, there you go.
0: <laughs>
1: yeah, yeah. Helped well, us um, <laughs> build the curriculum. And she became, she, she's the instructor for the course. And oh my gosh, the course okay. has become one of the most popular ones. And again, <laughs> this was an example of like cross collaboration that this course was open to anyone and everyone. Mm-hmm. doesn't matter if you're from UC Irvine or not from UC Irvine. In fact, we had five students trainees who were international who participated in this course and they would log in in the middle of the night or I don't know what time they were oh, in, wow. time zone they were in. So, um, yes, I, Adriana Bankson is great in policy and I think she ran, she started this initiative and that's one of the ways. Um, but I'm happy to elaborate more on that after you end up the question.
0: Yeah, uh, so b- the, the question is, I think she she might have been at Emory at the time, but uh, she said, I, I wanted to uh, to you know, to hear more. And the first thing, the first group I think she mentioned, and this was a while ago, I think it was about careers actually. Uh, and, and um, well, she ended up creating a seminar, uh, a seminar program with other students, which she says that still today is is ongoing. Um, and because I'm always afraid that, uh, you know, some listener is a, at a, maybe a smaller university and, and thinking, ah, you know, t- you know harinder is saying all these things but look they got this funding and uh you know everything is is easier but i feel that there's you know there's a there's a gradation of there's a yeah a gradation of things you can do from very complex and very organized like what you've been mentioning to smaller things so yeah i'm gonna let you if you can d- develop a little bit on that yeah. That's,
1: you know so that that's a problem which I faced when I was doing my PhD and then I sort of faced it again when I was doing my postdoc because I was at an institute where this this was not a priority so therefore there was no money for this thing so mm-hmm. uh, yes uh, so and, and and I'm happy to you know elaborate more on that and, and really like you know what you said that y- you know if if you don't have it build it if you if you're not being offered go look for it get it and you know if your institute is not prioritizing that go ask for it if you see that that's all falling on deaf ears start your own initiative and you'll see that they'll you know they'll come and join you Mm -hmm. so to give you an example we were at uh, this institute where i did my postdoc the annual budget for the full program or postdoctoral association was 2,500 (sighs) dollars (laughs) $2,500 and the usually a minimum amount required and you need a full-time staff to do that is nothing less than $200,000. So that was, uh, you know, it was impossible. It was even hard to get like uh, the cheapest place from nearby where you can get a pizza for for like, you know, 10 or 15 people joining. And we had to really be very careful to ask people to RSVP so that, you know, we have enough slices of pizza. We don't order more pizza so it gets wasted, right? Yeah, yeah, it was yeah. a challenging situation. So what did we do? And And again, you know, this is what I would like to tell all the listeners that... Think about all the, uh, the the salespeople and the companies who you work with your lab. They are always have some budget to sponsor these kind of professional development activities because you mm-hmm. are the talent pipeline they will be tapping into, and they tap into every day for the, for uh, enhancing their business and progressing their business and company. So we reached out to these companies, which were coming, and we said, this is what we do. Of course, we had to ma- make a more uh, prospectors, uh, or a brochure for fundraising for our program. It was just, you know, two pages we made. We sent it to them. We asked them if they would like to fund it. And I would say our program budget by the university was $2,500. Mm-hmm. And we were able to raise $7,000 a year just from oh, wow. these outside companies to run our programming. And then we started offering very high-level programming. One of the biggest achievements which I ran at when I was at University of Illinois, Chicago was a uh, career pr- career development symposium, which was one of its kind, very first time, one of the biggest initiative I took uh, with my other uh, colleagues at Postdoc Association, and did this post uh, symposium, and we we re- you know we uh, basically fundraised, you know, collected okay. money from all different organizations, and we didn't get anything, not not a lot of money from our uh, institute, but when they saw that there's so much money is being raised for the symposium, they said. How can we help? Let us know. They actually gave us two full-time soft people who work with us. to Make the symposium happen. So as I was saying... If you don't have it, ask for it. If you they are not doing it, you do it. You're a scientist. You're into entrepreneurial. You sit, read a paper, identify the void. It's almost like doing a market research. <laughs> and now what you do, you go and plan an experiment, design an experiment. You go and look for reasons. You don't have to you have it. You go ask for it. You Cannot ask; it's not there. You want to ask your PI; they are not agreeing to it. Which experiments you want to do? Convince them with the data, mm-hmm. and then go ahead and do an experiment. And we are very entrepreneurial by nature, scientists. And as I said, just try to manifest and you know translate that into this form and build it. And if you need help, I'm happy to you know help you out. There's a lot of examples out there how to conduct, organize your own symposium, how to raise money for these uh, graduate student and postdoc association programming. Another example to give you, Chiantis, the organization where we work for, how much, you know, Chiantis has grown like, you know, one of the biggest networking organizations in Chicago now. When we started, guess how much money we had? Zero dollars. (laughs) There you go. We started from a bar where we would buy drinks for each other and that's where it started. And then, you know, during that conversation, we said, okay, I think, you know, let's start doing programming and our alumni and professionals who've gone through this programming and all that, they're always happy to come and do things for free for you. Mm-hmm. If somebody asks you I to come and say, Harinda, would you be okay to come to my institute and give a lecture on this assist I'm happy to come and do it for free. And that's the; those are the aspects and people we tapped into who said, I don't need any budget, I'm happy to come. As we started doing events with their help for free, and now we could actually build our annual report, progress report, add that into fundraising brochure. And we went to companies and the companies actually gave us money from $0 to seven 000 to $10,000. what became our budget. So wow. we raised the money. We built the organization. We did it. And who were all these people? Just a graduate student who's defaulted into postdoc, <laughs> me who didn't know what I want to do almost everyone around me was like, I don't know, I just want to do something about it. And everyone got together. Everyone gained so much experience. It was such an enriching experience for all of us. In the process we made, uh, generated money for the program. And the biggest part, biggest part, this is the process which really helped me to be so competitive and eligible for mm-hmm. a career in what I'm doing right now. <laughs> yeah. I never thought that this is what I'll be doing. I started doing all that to help myself so that I can land up in a nice job. Mm-hmm. Not only that I interviewed for medical writing position, medical science liaison position where I got accepted, but due to international being an immigrant visa situation, I could not uh, accept those jobs. And then I, people, my mentors told me, you're really good at this. Have you tried, thought about this job? Mm-hmm. And I just, they just helped me uh, build my resume. Every position I applied to, I was interviewed, at least interviewed. And that's what made me so, such a competitive candidate for this. So you, you don't know how many different ways with the experience volunteering thing you're doing is going to come and help you in future. Mm-hmm. So keep an open mind, be entrepreneurial, Go network, collaborate. Think of everyone as a potential person who will help you in the future.
0: I I, I, I don't even have anything to say, uh, you know, to add to your words. I think it's really the message, the take-home message for sure for for this part of of what we've talked. And uh, today, you know, if you're um, a young researcher in grad school, just out of grad school, and you're not on LinkedIn, get on LinkedIn and you'll, you know, through LinkedIn, you'll get all the guests that you need to, you know, for, for these types of, of seminars and things, because people on LinkedIn want to share, want to help. And, and they're there, they're there to connect. So, uh, you know, I, I don't know if you have other uh, platforms that you recommend, but uh, I, I definitely, uh, I, I've just uh, this year kind of discovered how powerful LinkedIn is. And, um, and I think, I don't know if at the time you already had access to LinkedIn or you used it a lot, but I think today it's a must.
1: It, yes, I totally agree with you. LinkedIn is must. You know, must. Um, just connect with people, but one piece of advice to every listener, when you listen to this podcast and listen to me and David, and then you write me, uh, you try to connect with me, do not just connect. Write something in the brief note, short note, who you are, why you're trying to connect. Mm-hmm. Say that Hello, Harinder. It was wonderful listening to you for the Papa podcast, uh, Papa PhD podcast by David. And I was really, if you like the podcast, say that you liked it and you would like to keep in touch. Mm. There you go. My connection with you. You didn't like the podcast. There are certain elements which you want to get more clarification on saying that I kind of do not agree. And I would like to have a chat with you to discuss this thing. There's a connection. I'm happy to jump on a 15, 20 minute call and talk to you. <laughs> That's and, true. And Maybe another way, uh, connect with uh, David uh, on Papa PhD on LinkedIn and say that this was great you brought in this speaker, but I would like to listen to someone with this background and that's your connection with David in future. If something, you know, it's not my primary connection, my secondary or tertiary connection, you're applying to some job and you see that this is a company, has these other people who work in company, which you can actually see on LinkedIn. Mm-hmm. And then you, it will also tell you those people who are working, who they are connected to. You see that they are connected to me now this is your gateway in getting into that company. Write a message. Harinder. I saw that you connected with this person. I would, I'm applying for this position. Would you be okay connecting me to them? And when I see that you had written me a message in the past where you heard podcasts mm-hmm. and you connected, I am 99% of the times I'm going to respond to you. If I do not see a message or a history of past message, that's why you're connecting I am not going to respond. Mm-hmm. Let's be very honest about that. Yeah. So that's a piece of advice everyone should keep in mind.
0: And a and a very good one. Um we're getting to the end of the interview but uh, you know, we are now in uh in a lot of places around the world in what is the second wave of COVID. And this whole uh you know we've been talking about uh, career exploration, uh you know the tra- different training towards uh you know job exploration etc but the the whole horizon of, of the job market has changed with covid uh and i'd really like before f- you know finishing our interview to um first for you to share with us uh what's your view on how the academic job market is doing with the ongoing covid pandemic
1: amazing question to end the discussion and interview with um So before we start to think about how things are going on in pandemic environment, we have to go back and backtrack and, you know, back up and go to uh, how were things before uh, pandemic, pre-pandemic era. Pre-pandemic era, uh, academia has been doing really, really bad in terms of hiring. There are a lot of um, PhDs who are coming out of every year. Uh, What's the number? Um, I think around... 60,000 students get into PhD programs every year at any given time. There are like 60 to 80,000 people who are in PhD programs Mm -hmm. and 80% of them are getting into postdoc positions and average number of postdoc years one spends uh, in that training is four years and not to keep in mind, people tend to do two or three postdocs and so you see how many postdocs are are coming in and and you know accumulating into this and that has led to this glut of postdoc and then there's a bottleneck only 10% of faculty positions are available so you now 100 people are fighting just for 10 positions so that has that was always difficult pre pandemic and it was getting worse and Organizations like Future Research was trying to raise awareness about that as to how to change the funding structure, how to make sure that there's alternative career training uh, while they are in PhD training so that they don't default into postdoc or if they are in postdoc, how to ensure that everyone has a long-term job. The pandemic, and I'll repeat this, which we've heard on television and news all around, pandemic has been bad. Yes, it is the reason why we are in such a bad state. But in many ways, pandemic has served as a catalyst to exacerbate what we were already dealing with in our society. The inequality in society was gotten, got, got worse due to pandemic, but inequality already exists in our society. Similarly, academic market was very bad pre-pandemic. It has become worse in pandemic. Moving forward, how is it going to look like? Moving forward, the pandemic, um, uh, post-pandemic world for mm-hmm. academic jobs is is going to take some time for it to recover. Right now, people who had grants, they are, they could not do experiments. They do not have enough accumulated data to be able to write grants. So yeah. they are not able to submit grants. Although um, granting agencies are doing a lot of accommodations but a lot of people are getting fired. With the recent executive orders, a lot of people had to leave leave their jobs and go back to their home countries. Mm-hmm. A lot of people who were offered and were ready to come into the United States, their, their job offers were retracted because the, the institute yeah. was no more interested in them. Not because they don't want them, but because they cannot afford them. Of course. So those, that's the academic uh, research environment, Right. So what I would suggest, diversify what you're doing right now. There's a This is an opportunity to go listen to Papa PhD postdoc uh, podcast, listen to, you know, all the other events where UCR1 does and all the other organizations are doing online. Prepare for that. Now, let's talk about the non-academic alternative career market. Mm-hmm. It was doing good in pre-pandemic. It is still doing good. And at some sectors, depending on which sector you're interested in working, in, is doing much better than pre-pandemic era. Oh, and right. it's going to do keep doing better and better. FDA drug approval process has become fast. They've become more efficient. More drug discoveries are happening. More mm-hmm. companies are jumping in to make sure. Because people are getting sick. We do need help with disease, understanding the disease and discovering um therapies to treat those diseases Mm -hmm. it's that's not changing because of pandemic if at all things are actually going to get worse in many ways so there's going to be explosion of jobs and those industries are going to expand but you can be part of it only if you prepare for it right now so use this time effectively Stay open, keep an open mind, work towards academic training, but diversify as um, you said earlier that, you know, get get an out-of-the-box thinking, different training. So when the floodgates of this job market open, you should be the first one to get it because Mm -hmm. keep in mind, when you start applying for jobs after pandemic is over, you will not be the only one applying for jobs. There will be thousands of other candidates in line and who will get it? The one who is most prepared. So use the sign effectively. That's my advice in covid pre during the pandemic and post pandemic job era
0: uh, Harinda, this is a it's a great way to to actually end the interview i still want to sum up one of two or two things that surprised me and and that i think are, are really good take-home messages too which is one uh if you are setting up in your university a, a system of service to offer training for your graduate students Try to, uh, to marry the academic and the, and the career exploration part so that, that it'll be palatable, not only to the students, but also to faculty. That was really, I think for me, one of the key takeaways, uh, from, from what, from what you said, Harinder. Uh, mm-hmm. then, um, the other, uh, aspect is be, be very, again, in the same context, be very aware of, the time constraints of your your uh, uh, clients, let's say, but uh, of the students, of the researchers, of the young researchers, and really make it make make it in a way that there's the least friction possible for them. Because as soon as there's a little bit of friction, they'll say, ah, you know what, I'm going to stay in the lab, or I'm going to stick to to so. And and the solution that you had talked about, which is the lunch and learn type thing, and then the after hours, I think that that was really really awesome. And then one of the things that it's it's kind of almost not necessary to say anymore, but I, I'll still say it is network, networking, reach out to people. Even if it's, you feel, Oh my God, it's, is a, you know, big, uh, what's, what's the term, uh, you know, a head honcho uh, in this or that company. I am feel a bit, uh, shy to no, just go reach out. But like Harinder said, and I, I'm going to finish with this, be, be polite. And one of the ways to be polite is show that you, took some time first to prepare some pointed questions but also in writing this little intro message saying hey i am so and so i f- i'm really interested in what you said in this and this setting can we please connect or else people will just overlook uh, just a little bleep notification that says this person is asking to connect without uh, without any anything else and that's it. Harinder, uh, thank you so much for I think we've shared a lot of really, really uh you have shared a lot of really, really cool uh know-how f- based on your experience in, in all these years. I, I find it really interesting how what you do today really stems from this search and this uh this kind of uh necessity to find new resources and then now you create them. So for me it's a it's a really inspiring story. And uh mm-hmm. so yeah, thank you so much for having had this great conversation.
1: Absolutely, thank you very much. It was it was my pleasure being on this podcast, and I'm, I, I really appreciate what you're doing. And uh, and and it was it was a great discussion. Thank you very much. And please feel free to reach out to me on LinkedIn if anyone has, you know, if you have any questions.
0: But don't forget to write a short note. Thank you very much. <laughs> and uh, I will share Harinder's uh, uh, LinkedIn uh, in the show notes, and as well whichever. Um, um, handles he manages or has on on the other social media they'll be on the show notes of the episode so uh thank thank you for listening have a great week and uh, see you next week for another episode thanks for listening to another episode of the papa phd podcast head over to PapaPhd.com for show notes and for more food for thought about non-academic post-grad careers I'll always be happy to share inspiring stories, new ideas and useful resources here on the podcast. So make sure you subscribe on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts to always keep up with the discussion and to hear from our latest guests.